0: I usually make an album a year. Since 96, since Reasonable Doubt, I always put out an album. I always have, I mean, if you listen to any one of my albums, it's just the emotion and what I felt during that time. I went in the studio one day, I made seven songs. That goes to show you that my, my music is what's going on in my life. You know what I'm saying? So that one day, I made seven songs. And from there, it was just like... It just was like spilling, just spilling. Now we up to 15, I
1: don't know, I might make 30. From Breaking Atoms come a brand new original podcast series celebrating the 20th anniversary of Jay-Z's sixth album, The Blueprint.
2: In this third episode, we'll break down the second half of The Blueprint album, dive even deeper into the creative process and explore the
1: relationships among some of the album's key contributors. This is The Rulers. Is back. Back. Even though he was waking up to some of his favourite groups breaking up, Jay-Z still put his crown on and G-checked the jesters for their bad mind energy. Track 8 on the Blueprint is Heart of the City, produced by Kanye West. No love, the song samples
2: Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, performed by Bobby Blue Bland, and features vocals by singer Keon Bryce. Much like Can I Live from Reasonable Doubt, here Jay-Z poses another simple question: Where's the love? Kanye West had DMX
1: in mind when he was creating the beat for Heart of the City. Karl Lamar, hip-hop editor for Billboard, ponders what could have been had Darkman X blessed the track with his signature bark and growl.
3: Kanye fucking West. It's, it's, that was his album. Him and Just Blaze, man. What they did on that album, shout out to Bink, you know, shout out to M. He had the Renegade record, Timbo. But what, what Kanye did on that track, and even when I go back and I listen to Last Call, and I think I remember him saying he wanted to initially give that beat. He made that beat for DMX. So I, I, I it gives me just fucking goosebumps. Like, damn, like Jay obviously made a classic tour, but I'm wondering what a DMX would sound like over that
2: beat. Jesse Bernard, writer and music researcher, considers Heart of the City another example of Jay-Z asserting his greatness and building more levels to his classic discography.
4: On Blueprint, he's obviously kind of, Gone gone through the wars with obviously Nas, he's kind of beaten the charge as well. He's he's done all these things and he's he's like kind of he's he's got a solid kind of discography under his belt by this point. So he's proven he can do it. And I think this album was like him just actually backing up the talk as well. Uh,
0: listen, first the boys break up. Now every day I wake up, somebody got a problem with hope.
4: And I think that just epitomizes where he is at that point in his career. That legendary
1: opening line, part of hip hop lexicon, is inspired by Chris Rock's character in Boomerang. Jamil Yonguru Keaton, engineer and the person responsible for mixing the blueprint, his first for Jay-Z, vividly remembers the studio session for the song. As the Fiesta video began playing on the TV, Hove stepped into the booth and in one take laid all three verses before the video had ended.
5: Part of the city beat is playing, say for a good, like, I don't know, good half hour or whatever and he looks like okay i'm ready and there was a video uh on the television right that just came on that he's in and he made a comment about something his hat or something like that he said oh why did i wear that you know it just made a i remember him making a comment about the video as it's coming on so he walks out of the studio walks down the hall walks into the booth spits all three verses walks back out into the control room and that video is still on. That's how fast he was doing the songs. Part of the city, he just recorded it all the way down just like that one take, all three verses. So it's just that's the speed at which he was just recording and, and coming up with just like the illest lines. It was a it was just a complete vibe. It's not something that can be duplicated. It's just Kanye set off a vibe.
2: Actor and personality, pain in the ass, remarks how Jay-Z sounds exasperated by the criticisms despite his success. He compares Heart of the City to one of Jay-Z's early and most beloved songs, Can't Knock the Hustle.
6: You get to a certain point where, look, I got to where I wanted and you still you're giving me grief. You're giving me flack that I don't do things right. Or you're waiting in the wing and, and you're not giving me my moment after I worked. So hard to get to this moment, you know, and the metaphors that he used, he goes, a bird-ass motherfuckers, I ain't mean a ruffle ya. Yeah. I know you're waiting in the wing, but I'm just doing my thing. Like, it's basically a can't knock the hustle part two, if you will. I always look at Ain't No Love in the City.
1: Writer Mickey Halliback geeks over one of the most well-known punchlines on Heart of the City and mentions how Jay-Z lets his bar structure breathe in certain parts for added impact.
4: The real like epitome of the flex bar and like the the wordplay of what's all the fucking fussing for because I'm grubbing more and I pack heat like I'm the oven door was always just like the big oh line for me on that song. And like the thing that's amazing about Jay-Z, too, is like. The best bars he always leaves space for. It's never too much like he sinks into it where it's like, oh, you heard that. But he just leaves like that little tidbit of time where you can separate. And that, I think, also has to do with how he kind of records on the fly. But that that line always hits me with the, the big like early 2000s.
2: Never Changes the Blueprint's ninth track and samples Common Man by David Ruffin. Kanye West's production inspired Jay-Z to delve into his past again and weave together tales about his coming of age and his come up while swearing to remain authentic. US-based writer Jason Buford considers Never Change to be an intrinsic link to Jay-Z's past in the street and his future as a business mogul.
7: Never Change is like one of the best Jay-Z songs, period. It's just like a song that you can put in any mood it is the most emotional sample and emotion, emotional just, like, song. But it's just Jay-Z being like, nah, we move music or we move drugs. That's all we do. <laughs> he's like, he's like, either we're rapping or we're selling drugs. That's it, bro. Like, it, nah, never changes the shit.
0: Miami and St. Thomas connects. I never mention your name. I promise respect. Death before the dishonor
1: correct.
7: Never forget that Jay-Z is a man who sold drugs and just happens to be good at rap. Never forget that. This is a street man.
1: New Face, avid hip-hop enthusiast and merch collector, considers the wordplay never changed to be like the scriptures of a religious text. He shares why he lives by Jay-Z's words in the song and implies them practically in his life journey.
8: Some raps that's like, I call in my Bibles of rap where you just put these quotables down, like we collide with life as we speak, like we all fish, better teach your folk. Give them money to eat next week, they broke. Like, like, verses like that is like not just raps. Those is like real life gems. Like, yo, do you hear this? Like, this is not just rap.
2: Chicago's link to the blueprint goes beyond Kanye West. The beat for Never Change was initially recorded to by another Windy City artist, Payroll, who had previously worked with the Mole Men, Bump J, and EC Illa. However, the song with a similar hook ended up on The Blueprint, which became a discrepancy between Kanye West and Payroll. Payroll passed away in 2017.
1: The tenth song on The Blueprint is Song Cry, produced by Just Blaze. His sample flip of Sounds Like a Love Song by Bobby Glenn makes Song Cry the signature rap ballad in Jay-Z's rap portfolio. Throughout the song's three verses, Jay-Z,
2: with heartfelt remorse, describes how his philandering caused some relationships to cease painfully. Despite the contrition in his tone, he retains a stoic demeanor by not showing his emotions, but allowing the lyrics to break the levies to his figurative tear ducts instead. Sean Sotaro, associate editor for Complex, appreciates the sequencing on the blueprint and notes that song cry continues a string of particularly reflective moments on the album.
4: You know, I've always been a sucker for the, like, introspective Jay-Z. Like, you know, there, there was a period in his... Pre-retirement, where for a while you got one song per album that was the introspective one, right? Usually towards the end, right? And, you know, they had that on the on the Dynasty, had it on uh, on Volume One. You know, there's the one song either at or near the end that's the like I'm gonna tell you about my life, I'm gonna get introspective number. And this had like two or three of them in a row, which was a real change, and I, I really love that.
1: Big Hass is a radio host and personality from Saudi Arabia. Hass was relatively new to hip-hop at the time when Blueprint dropped. For him, Songcry subverted what he thought was a prevalent alpha male bravado in rap music. I don't know, it, it made me feel emotional. And, and then at that point, um,
8: I was under the impression that rap is like, oh yeah, the toughness and all that, and you know, I, again, I, I was new really, relatively new listening to rap. Um, back in Saudi Arabia, it's the emotions. It is also the brilliance of the track in terms of like the, 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 the production, the, the sampling, the. I, I believe, I believe it's definitely one of the most
1: meaningful records for, for Jay. Akar Sharma, writer and assistant editor for Hip Hop & More, remembers hearing a story that Just Blaze chopped up the Bobby Glenn sample over 96 times just to make sure it was right. He also refers to the legendary tale of Jay-Z calling other producer friends to celebrate Just Blaze's greatness after hearing what Just had produced for the first time. I remember reading a story about him chopping up a sample 96
6: times, I think it was. Um, for song cry and i remember when jay heard that beat he called up a few a few producers i think timberland was confirmed to be one of them and he said like yo you're nice but just is crazy and (laughs) for for jay-z to do that i don't know how timberland or any of the other producers felt about that but for for jay to do that about just i think speaks to his greatness
2: Just Blaze fondly recalls how making Song Cry shifted him from Beatmaker to a full-fledged producer. He also remembers Jay-Z reaching for his phone to call other producers to tell them about his talent. Although Jay-Z made the call in jest, Just Blaze marks this as the moment that fortified his bond with Hove.
9: Song Cry is the record where I made the transition from producer or from Beatmaker to producer. I made that beat on an off night. Everybody was going for the day and it was just... Me, Guru, a few other peripheral people, and a girl by the name of Darcel, who used to be our AR administrator. I'm making the beat. I remember Guru being like, You gotta fix where he was trying to get me to change the singing on the eighth bar. Because I did something that kind of felt jarring, a little abstract. So Bobby's singing. sounds fine and normal. But at the time when I was making it, for whatever reason, it it was jarring good. And I'm like, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. And I'm bringing this up for a reason because as I was making it, Darcelle, she walks in and she's like, I love this. Whatever you're doing, I love it. So when you get that kind of response from somebody who's not on the music side, kind of tend to go with what they like because that's your... That's your listener. That's your target listener. And I remember when that happened, Guru was like, All right, you got it. Never mind. Never mind. I make the basic beat. And Jay basically just rhymes to a loop. I take his vocals and everything and do all these overdubs and arrange it into the record that we know now. He hears that, calls two other producers, and I, don't, I don't know what name, calls them and says, he's joking that was always Jay's way of telling people to step their game up like he's done that to me before but it was also a moment for me where I'm like all right, if he cares enough to jokingly make that phone call then I know that we're solid that's what really what I really felt like I was part of
2: the circle social media was in its infancy in the early 2000s however Karl Lamar thinks had Instagram been around at this
1: time, quotes from the blueprint would be all over our feeds. He also laments on how the imagery in Songkrais' third verse caused him to reflect on his poor decisions in his past relationships and how infidelity can traumatize those that we love.
3: He had a lot of witty one-liners, man. Like, I'm a hustler, I can sell water to a well. You know, uh, uh, I'm like a dog. I don't speak, but I understand. Like like those are like Instagram. I wish Instagram was popping right back in the day because I would have just ran with those as one line captures and we would have been like he had so many one liners. But when I say like the, the, the pivotal moment for me, the third verse of Song Cry. Face with stone Shocked at the other end Of the phone
0: back home Is that you had A special friend So what was so special then You have given away Without getting at me
3: You listen to that verse And again This is me speaking as a 32 year old I did not know What love was back then Or heartbreak But when I hear that track Knowing the bullshit I did in my past relationships You realize Like How much Of a potential fuck up you could be to somebody's life and really make a good girl gone bad. Like a good girl gone bad. She's gone forever. I'm more forever. Like for the fact I did you wrong forever. Like you don't realize the gravity of that verse, the imagery, him painting that picture of the girl being so fucked up because of his infidelity, his bullshit.
2: The 11th song on the blueprint is the Bink produced all I need. The beat samples I Can't Break Away by Natalie Cole. In this song, Jay-Z slides through his checklist of needs with playboy posture and presidential poise. All I Need is also notable for being possibly the only song in hip-hop history that references Mother Skunks. The beat was made initially for Philadelphia hip-hop group Nam Brigade and was a favourite of Rockefeller A&R, Kayambo Hip-Hop Joshua. Bink explains how All I Need finally ended up on the blueprint after a tragic incident took place.
6: Hip-hop was trying to take that record from me from day one. I had a group on Electra Records called Non-Brigade out of Philly. That was one of our singles, for that group. But what ended up happening is that the week I was mixing that album, my main guy was murdered in Philly. So the group never got a chance to come out. So I probably sat on the beat for like another year or two. I finally gave it to hip hop to to give the Jay. So we had already written the hook. So Jay kind of just modified the hook a little bit, changing words here
1: and there. But that's the hook. On the ruler's back, Bink connected different parts of one record seamlessly. When describing the sound of All I Need, he makes a T. D. Moses reference about the straightforward style of the production.
6: That whole beat was built around one Natalie Cole riff. I call it. Um, I start calling it. Complex simplicity. Like, because so, there's not a lot going on in all I need, but it's just enough. But uh, I got a live horn section in there, and I, I brought the live horns on at the end just to make people feel like they were missing something. I just put it on the fade out just to make people think, ah, oh, man, they turned it off right when they're about to start jamming. Like, cause he cheating. It's like, yeah.
2: Before All I Need Fades to Black, Jay Z shouts out his label mates. In what has since become Rockefeller folklore, He also mentions Mickey and Mallory. Who were they? The oracle of all things Jay-Z, Ain't No Jigger, shared a little tidbit about them on Twitter. They wrote, Billy Gamble and Jackie O were aligned with The Rock for the shortest of times in 01. Signed as Mickey and Mallory, they were the first male and female duo signed to The Rock. Bronx MC Gamble was known to be fire on the mic, but seemingly chose fast
1: cash over the craft. Renegade is track 12 on the album, and Eminem gets one of his earliest production credits here. The beat is an original composition and contains no samples. Jay-Z and Eminem deliver outspoken commentary on poverty in the ghetto and the so-called negative influence of their music on children.
2: Yemi Abiyade calls Renegade a once-in-a-lifetime moment and Eminem's finest production effort.
0: Because
5: that right there, it's a unicorn. It's a unicorn of a track. I feel like in a lot of ways, it is the two best rappers at that time. At the top of their game, going at it bar for bar, there's nothing not to like about him. That's Eminem's best beat as well by, of all time, by a long stretch.
1: Renegade was originally set to be included on Royce of Five Nine's Rock City album, which was executive produced by Eminem. Supposedly, label politics slowed things down, and Jay-Z was sent the beat with Royce's blessings and without his verses.
2: As expected, New Face was already aware of the original version of Renegade, and remembers being intrigued when hearing the beat on the Blueprint for the first time. He also references Nas's claim on Ether about Jay-Z getting murdered lyrically on his own album. Even though the Who had the best verse has been a part of the hip-hop conversation for years, New Face believes Renegade further highlights the competitiveness between not only MCs, but their
8: fans. Being from Detroit, hearing that, it's like, oh, I know this, but what's this about to happen? Oh, Jay on this. And Royce wasn't. So it's like, okay. So, and then how the whole came out with, you know, Eminem merged you on it. Like this kind of, it didn't start it because of course with Symphony and all those, but it kind of brought back that, oh the, the the two people on the on the rap battle sparring and gave the fans like oh who is your favorite verse who had your favorite verse same dude
0: you gave nothing I made something doing what I do through and through and I give you the news with a twist just his ghetto point of view Renegade. You've been afraid
1: I... Culture writer Nicholas Tyrell Scott examines Jay Z's first verse, where he proclaims to be the ghetto point of view, never to embellish his story or those from similar backgrounds.
3: Hip hop is the most popular genre right now in the US, right? It is undoubtedly mainstream. What Jay Z was trying to convey in this lyric is we're never gonna shed our stories from this, we're never gonna hide our stories from this genre, even it could be on the Billboard Hot 100. And I think that's the confidence here. The renegades that he keeps, he, he references on the second line. That's him. I'm the renegade. I'm going to talk my shit. I'm going to, if you call me unconventional, if you, you know, if you critique me on, on these mainstream platforms for what I say, if you are negative in your kind of analysis of what my story is, you're just going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to be adjacent to it because I'm winning and I am hip hop right now. So get on board or don't listen.
2: The album's final track is Mama Loves Me, and Bink produces this melancholy finale. The song contains a sample of Free At Last by Al Green. Bink shares a few secrets of constructing the beat, which inspired Jay-Z to open up about the immediate and extended Carter family dynamics.
6: I sampled Al Green with a sampled live version of Free At Last. And... Um, Again, that beat was built on just the ooze. Everything else, I just filled in the blanks with the music and you know, put organs and put fender rows and bass line and drums and congas again and shit, you know, stuff like that. So that's pretty much how that came about. But when Jay heard that, I guess it definitely touched him to want to just talk about his story, you know, his testimony about his life. So whenever you can strike a chord with somebody like that, it's like you've definitely done your job, sonically.
2: Mickey Helleback comments on the people and places Jay-Z mentions in a single long verse
4: and how they present an almost tangible sense of innocence. Unless you was me, how could you judge me? I was brought up in pain. Y'all can't touch me. Because that, you know, in alignment with all of the people that he's talking about, And then in alignment with the locations that he's talking about, it's also the one other kind of jolting moment of like sheer vulnerability on that song. That is like, it's really acknowledging on a certain level that obviously I'm talking about how all of these people have built me up in all of these different assortment of ways, but the real kind of results of that is this, this is a very much a, the epitome of the Jay-Z Flex album. Like, this is the number one Jay-Z Flex album. So he's like, the reason that I can make this is this line.
1: Young Guru speaks on the early album tracklist handwritten by himself and his assistant engineer, Kamel Abdo.
2: However, before wrapping up the blueprint officially, there was one track in particular that Young Guru wanted to include on the album. It took a little longer than usual, but after some brotherly nudges in the right direction, Breathe Easy was added as one of two bonus tracks to the album.
5: But there is a track listing that was handwritten half by Kamel and half by me. So normally with a Jay album, I'll start writing and organizing so that we can like visually look at it and see what the order is, move things around. Like Jay kind of like, I'll write it as he's saying it. You know what I mean? Because he just always thinks like that. He'll think it out loud. So with the lyrical exercise, I was just big on it. I was just like, yo, come on, like, because he had such great references. And I was like, now we got to finish this.
1: Produced by Just Blaze, Breeze Easy contains a sample of Got to Find My Own Place by Stanley Clark. Without grasping for any kind of air, Jay-Z runs power drills through two verses, both of which, which are an extended exercise metaphor for his breathtaking rapping ability.
2: Just Blaze talks about making the beat on his brand new ASR X Pro and Jay-Z finishing his cardio charge stanzas in the 11th hour. Just Blaze also talks about another bonus track recorded during the Blueprint
1: sessions, but wasn't officially released until 2002. In addition, Just Blaze explains Jay-Z's business reasons for keeping the Blueprint's tracklist slim and slender.
9: So Breathe Easy was kind of an experiment for me. And Sonic, who at the time was a prominent maker of production machines, had just released a new version of the, the famous ASR-10, and it was called the ASR-X Pro. I was experimenting with that, but the only two records I ever did on the ASR-X that ever actually came out, three records actually, it was Shine, one of the two, of the two records on the Shine album that I worked on, uh, Rock the Mic, and Breathe Easy. Breathe Easy I think might have been The very first one That I made on it As a matter of fact It was It was the first one That I had made on it So that was my tutorial Like how do I make beats On this thing And I made Breathe Easy Jay hears it And he's like Yo I like that So he starts rhyming to it He had a verse A hook the two bars It stopped clicking for him He left it grew kept pushing I would inquire But I didn't push Gru pushed and the day before uh, we, we, we were finishing the album or it had to go out. She comes in like yo, I got
0: it. Pull up in the drop. pull up, Push up for my money. I'm in great shape, Dunny. And finishes the rest
9: of the verse. Redoes the hook uh to match the energy of what he had um put down in the second verse. And that was it. You know, and that was. Was just, that, that was that the more I think ironic bonus cut is the one that never made it and ended up on the next album which was show you how to do this show you how was done for the blueprint we loved the idea all the way up until the end, And for whatever reason he just decided to not use it and I'm sitting there like yo y'all crazy like do you hear this And I remember somebody mentioning, somebody in the circle mentioning that, you know, like, I never talked to Jay about this, but I remember somebody mentioning that uh, Jay doesn't record. At the time, Jay would not record over his cap. And what I mean by that is a label defines an album as a certain amount of songs. So say your contract for your record, for your albums has a 13 song cap or I think a 14 song cap. You can go ahead and put 20 songs on the album if you want. You're only getting paid for these 14. So I remember it being said to me that like Jay's thing was like, there's no way I'm there's no way in hell I'm giving y'all product that I'm not getting anything for on the back end. That one didn't make it, which makes sense because it's sonically so different. It made it would make sense that if something had to get cut for that reason, that would be the song to get cut. And then what ended up happening was, is a a former employee of Baseline accidentally allowed the song to be leaked. He made himself a CD of a bunch of records that we didn't use. And it was, he did it with with the intentions of it being for his own personal use, like him being able to have a CD to ride around to his songs that nobody had, right? But he lost the CD. And that CD had Show You How and the other one was a Timbaland record called uh, Gotta Get My Shit Off. And Show You How became such a a hit on the street that on Blueprint 2 we decided, all right, fine, bring it back, put it on the album.
2: Girls, Girls, Girls Part 2 is the second bonus track and Kanye West gets his final production credit on the project. Much like the original, Jay-Z wistfully laments on his long list of women friends And their common relations For Andrew Barber Founder of Fake Shore Drive This song is a personal favourite Andrew once again talks about the rumour Of Michael Jackson recording vocals for the song
9: The girls remix was beat on that was just so dope and you know the rumor was that michael jackson was on it i think there i don't know i don't think michael jackson's vocals are on that version but there is a version with michael jackson's vocals i you know i don't know the full story obviously i was not there so i don't know the full story
1: but that's always been the rumor did the king of pop record a guest appearance for the blueprint just blaze who bought and owned baseline studios until its closure in 2010 only remembers shanti moore being present in the studio however He addresses the Michael Jackson urban legend.
9: I remember her being in the studio, right? I always remember her as being the only vocalist on the record. So when people would tell the story about MJ being on the record, I always just dismissed it as urban legend. It was only about two years ago, as I'm reviewing the files in the archives, because I was the person who archived everything that went through Baseline. And I was looking for something, and I found instead MJ Girls vocals. I'm sitting there in my studio, saying, "Oh my God, that did happen! It's there.
2: I have it." Kamel Abdo was a sound engineer who worked closely with Young Guru. Together, they recorded Takeover, Izzo, Girls, 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 and Heart of the City for the Blueprint. Kamel's name is credited in work by G Unit, Craig David, Selena Johnson. Jamie Foxx and more. Kamel tragically passed away in 2006, but Young Guru fondly remembers his drive to win, inquisitive passion for hip hop, and sharp ear for detail.
5: Now, you got to imagine this is a dude from Abu Dhabi who looks at a source magazine and says, I'm going to go to New York and go to this school and learn engineering. He goes to a school, learns engineering, then applies for a job at Crazy Cat off of like an ad right so he was already there but you have to remember this is a guy like fresh from the middle east he like like he's green to a lot of stuff in new york is what i'm trying to say so it was sort of like him becoming my little brother in terms of just trying to always protect him ddot was using jimmy henchman's studio right crazy cat was inside a
7: henchman studio
5: jimmy henchman comes home from jail right he asked me to stay there like until he got a, another engine, he was just like, yo, just hold me down till I get somebody else. Right. Boom. Cause I was working for D dot and he was coming straight back into it. So the studio could keep running. So then I had Camel there with me still, even after that. So then I got with my manager, L'Oreal and started getting sessions with Bleak, And then Bleak eventually brings me to Jay. So once I get brought into this baseline situation, I go grab Camel and I'm like, yo, he's coming with me. So there was already an assistant there, but it was so much work starting to happen that I'm like, yo, we need. him. so I went and grabbed Kamel and he became that guy. So this is the guy that like he's one of those. He definitely stayed up and taped Stretching Bobbito. Right. He's one of those hip hop heads. You don't have to ask him. He did it. Right. So you just you just be like, let me get the Stretch and Bobbito tape from last night. Right. You know, he's the guy who when uh, D-Dot was doing the Mad Rapper album. Kamel was actually the guy who was like, yo, I was at the Lyricist Lounge last night and it was this white boy in there that was destroying everybody. We should go get him. And we ended up getting Eminem for $5,000 for the Mad Rapper album because Kamel saw him at the Lyricist Lounge. Like, that's who Kamel was. His very first, very, very first recording credit ever is 50 Cent How to Rob.
0: R.I.P. He was going
5: to be a hundred times better than me. Like a hundred times better than me.
1: Tony Dorsey mastered the blueprint. His professional career stretches back to the early 70s. He's worked with Nine Inch Nails, Lonnie Liston Smith, Public Enemy, and various DITC members. He recalls getting an introduction to Rockefeller via someone who had crossed paths with Jay-Z on several occasions, both in the streets and in the recording booth.
7: Well, I give a lot of credit to my man DMX, rest in peace. Uh, Lenny Santiago, who was the A&R guy for Rockefeller and um, Jay-Z, he asked DMX who did his albums. So uh, being that I've been working with DMX for quite some time, he mentioned my name and, you know, those guys booked a session and the rest was history, so to speak.
2: Tony Dorsey remembers how young Guru and Jay-Z's close homie and business associate, Lenny Santiago, would be present during mastering sessions.
7: Oh, yeah. Whenever I worked on a Jay-Z album, definitely uh, Guru came in to oversee it, as well as Lenny Santiago. He was uh, Jay-Z's right-hand man through Def Jam. So definitely those two came in for sure. Jay-Z normally came in at the end of this session you know, just to listen to it and to, to, to overview everything. But definitely Lenny Santiago was there
2: and uh, I'm sure my Guru was there also. The better the relationship between recording, mixing and mastering engineer, the better the music and final product. Tony Dorsey goes into more depth about his working rapport with Young Guru. He remarks how they were comfortable enough to critique each other and communicate constructively and openly.
7: I have a very good relationship with
2: Young Guru
7: whereas if something's not on point and nothing correct I was comfortable with our relationship i mentioned it to him I was like guru that bass needs to be tight or it's too much top end and we would address it we'd talk about it and deal with it but I don't recall any issues with that album it was just a matter of putting that icing on the cake you know
2: after years of getting busy behind the boards Tony Dorsey knows what it takes to produce a fantastic sounding body of work for him It all comes down to a handful of simple elements.
7: And I've often said that, um, of course, the first process of recording it, then you mix it, then you come to mastering. To me, those steps before mastering is the foundation of greatness. Think about it. The great buildings and all in the world, they start with the great foundation. And then it's built upon that. And that's the same way I feel with mastering. It starts there. And then when it comes to a mastering facility, whether that's with me or anybody else,
1: it's the icing on the cake on the next episode of The Rule is Back.
5: While we were in Miami, Aaliyah passes away. Aaliyah was flying to us. Aaliyah just had a beat ready for a re- Aaliyah was... Remember, she was doing the Rock the Boat video and she was flying from there to Miami. She was flying to us. She was going to come to Circle House and do this remix that Just was working on. Like, you know, and it's not just like, oh, Aaliyah passed. It was like, at the time, like, that's Dame's lady. You know what I mean? So she's one of us. She was like part of
1: Rockefeller. This series is produced by Breaking Atoms and is mixed and mastered by Dave Walker. To stay in the loop and receive the episodes as soon as
2: they drop, follow and subscribe to Breaking Atoms or search for Breaking Atoms wherever you listen to your podcasts.